podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the weekender. You look back at the Liverpool week, which is sparing, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, though there are transfer stories to discuss, which we will touch on. Uh, you'll look ahead to the Liverpool weekend. A huge, huge, huge game against Arsenal. But also a Friday night with talk tonight, and we've got coming up Jamie Webster and Louis Berry talking about that. We've also uh, got Pete Selby and Jonathan Northcroft talking about the tragic events in Leicester last weekend. Uh, and we've got Rory Smith talking about Manchester City threatening to get 100 points a season forever uh, and what that would or wouldn't do to the Premier League. All of that is to come before then. I've got Paul Senior and I've got John Milburn to have a chat about the Liverpool week. And the first thing I'd say, Paul, is that Liverpool, I would say, have almost been reassuringly quiet this week. There's not been many stories coming out of Liverpool. And it makes me think that this has very much been taken as an opportunity to take a week to take stock and to be deadly serious about this Arsenal game to come. Yeah, it's been weird, hasn't it? You know, you, you're, you've only really seen or, or heard like a few pictures from late training sessions and seen pictures of lads getting haircuts and stuff in the lead up to the game, but not not really. A lot of football chat, no transfer chat, no. We're really up for Arsenal chat. Really, it's just literally been. It almost feels like an international break. Like like nothing's nothing's happening. There's no. There's no gossip, there's no injury chat, there's just absolutely, that's been radio silence. Liverpool have been on lockdown, which I'm intrigued by, Johnny, almost as though you can imagine that Klopp has, has almost just breathed a, a sigh of, well, thank God I haven't even got to do it, no one's got to talk to me, no one's going to talk to me, there's other things going on elsewhere, the aftermath of the tragic events in Leicester, which we've got the things coming up about uh, to come, you know, that is where it is, you feel as though the club's just sort of gone, right, we're just getting out the way here for a few days and we're doing our business elsewhere, that we're getting on with things, we've got a massive game to prepare for. Yeah, I, th- I think I think the I think we said at the time if Liverpool aren't going to win the League Cup, going out at the first hurdle is r- the, r- the right thing to do. And I think we went out um, uh, at the right time. And I think if, if you clops, if you clop, you, you, you're on a, tr- a constant roundabout of press conference match, press conference match. Press, uh, the, the life of a football manager is very, very, very repetitive, with very little pauses for reflection and, and maybe tweaking strategies and things like that and I think Klopp being the type of manager that he is will have really welcomed this opportunity to he hasn't got the press engagements that, that, that would have been yeah. in place had we been playing in the cup this week and he'll, he'll have had time to spend some time with his lads really really focus on what is probably one of the biggest games of the season on that Paul you know it's it's noticeable for me this is his international breaks are strange because he loses two thirds of them uh, let's be honest about that so he, he doesn't get to spend time with them then this is the, probably the first this is the first week he's had with them he didn't have any week with them in the previous batch of games uh, so since the start of the season that first run of four and it's also the last week he actually has with them now until uh, Manchester after Manchester United uh, deep in December before we go to Wolves that week up, up until then it's either an international break or we are back to playing a game uh, every every three days so this is it's strange isn't it that this could well in many senses be the most important week for Jurgen Klopp of the 10 weeks uh, that, that that it falls in the middle of yeah you know you've you've seen uh, Klopp say in the past about uh, when they talk about signing footballers and making transfers and stuff and he's going what about development on the training pitch and you know he, he talks about too many fixtures and the fact you even saw heard him recently about the Nations League just going this is just getting stupid there's too many big games in football now whereas you, you can see he's a keen coach yeah. you know as, as much as he's a great tactician and I'm sure he's good with the psychology and stuff like that he's a coach isn't he and he, he enjoys the training ground he enjoys the development of footballers but actually with as John references um, 
media duties and travelling and all that. It, it's very it's very limited for, for someone who's trying to play, I don't know, 65, 70, 65 games a year, if they do, as well as they should. There is there have been one or two things this week, John, that have come up in the Liverpool week, um, which haven't really directly pertained to us, but footballers we've been linked with previously. Dembele linked with a move away from Barcelona in the January window. Liverpool have been linked with Martial on a free transfer. Ramsey uh, is looks as though he's going to leave Arsenal on a free transfer. The thing that what hit me when I, when they were coming through wasn't so much the idea that any of them will be signing for Liverpool anytime soon, but it was more. This is now the stratosphere of football that we're linked with. That this, you know, the idea that we could, you know, it's 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 plausible enough, even if it is fict- fiction, that you can link Martial with the idea that he might move to Liverpool from Manchester United. It's plausible enough that Dembele, the third most expensive footballer, I think, still maybe fourth in history, would move to Liverpool from Barcelona, and it's plausible enough that Aaron Ramsey might take the path that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain took, and feel as though Liverpool's a better option for him now, you know, you can see the direction of travel in links like these. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really good point, I think if you, for many years we've been doing these shows where we've been talking about players that are unattainable to Liverpool, and Liverpool are in the bracket below, and we've talked about analogies about shops that we can shop in. I don't think there's any real limit to the type of shops that Liverpool could hope to shop in these days. And that's because by under Jurgen Klopp, the type of manager that we've got, what we've achieved in terms of we went all the way in the Champions League last season, we are now running at a, a current rate in the Premier League that if it continues, we get 98, 99 points, which previously, last season that happened, that's virgin territory for the Premier League. Um, I think we're currently the team that... Um, at this point in the season, it's the highest ever points total for a, for a second place team. So, I think uh, I, 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 I think it's the idea that we would that a Manchester United player would countenance coming to Liverpool. I think any time in the last fifteen years that would have been considered ridiculous. And the word power shift gets thrown around, but I think United will be enviously looking down the M62 at us at this moment in time. I think even though Arsenal are seeing a a fairly good run of form, I I still think they feel they are some way behind Liverpool's progress. And if you're a player with a relatively short career, then then Liverpool's a a very, very credible place. Barcelona are not having the season that they would want to have. Madrid aren't having the season they'd want to have. So all of these top players in these top teams are realistic targets for Liverpool, I think, right now. Not, I'm not sure I completely agree, John, with the sort of we're in we're in that sort of shop, that top level shop. Yeah, I think I think and don't get me wrong, it's, I'm not I'm not criticising the club for that, but I think that there is a shop that Liverpool aren't still welcoming, which is the one where you see obviously Coutinho leave us to go to Barcelona. That that sort of global star one where I think it's only really Paris Saint Germain, maybe Juventus. Um, and the two Spanish clubs are operating, and but that that being said, I, I would say we're we're high up in the other shop in terms of that food chain. You know, oh, sorry, we're, we're no longer we're compete- not in the one below it. Yeah. So previously, we were worried about Spurs taking players off us, um, uh, Dortmund taking players off us. Mm. We were, we were worried Arsenal, Chelsea. I don't think we worry so much about those fellas. No, no, I agree, and I think I think, but I think all them clubs are in the same shop, and I just think we're. One who've maybe got the biggest wallet or got the biggest teeth of any of the clubs in there, and that I, I I think we've we've got to win something to sort of elevate ourselves, and I think Manchester City need to win something in Europe as well to truly get into that bracket. Um, 
So, <clears throat> I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you, Paul, but, but if you reference recent history, so Manchester City, um, along with PSG, have got the... Um, got the ability or the, the untold the, riches the, the, the untold the, the almost unlimited resources to bring in who they want and we were able to get more than one player in in the last 12 months who chose us over over that club now that's not to say we, have, we haven't got the same situation with Real Madrid people choose not to go to Real Madrid because actually they don't think they're going to get a game at Real Madrid so I still think you're right there's that mm. stratosphere above but I do think that we are more than punching our way globally now in terms of transfers yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think you can see you just see the point I'm trying to I'm trying to get to is the sort of, say, the Cristiano Ronaldo move in the summer. There's only a couple of clubs that can get there, whereas I think Alisson and Naby Keita, for example... I, are, I think there's a better shout, which is... The, 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 I think the thing you're trying to say, Paul, is let's imagine Mbappe wants to move. Yes. And where probably... It probably becomes a knockout between the two Spanish clubs. And we're probably... These days now, sadly, whether we like it or... For that, for that, for a player like Mbappe right now at mm. Paris Saint-Germain, if he decided he wanted to move away from the French League, we'd probably not quite be in that conversation, but maybe City maybe would just be, just but probably be, yeah. no other English side, and he would probably go to one of the two Spanish clubs. Yeah, and do you know what? Maybe Man United are a different time, regardless of what, what they're doing in the league sense would still be in that because even when you know they dropped the year they finished seventh is that 14 15 is it um 13 14 they finished seventh they still go and sign is an angel de maria the year after so they they still shopped at that top table and i I really want liverpool to get there but i still think we're at that that one that's just pre pre that group okay uh interesting stuff going through all that sort of thing as i said before we're going to talk about the arsenal game that is to come huge huge game for liverpool one with a load of pressure on uh, we've also going to be got talk about talk tonight uh, the event that's happening in memory of a couple of people who recently passed away on friday uh, that is to come uh, we've also uh, got pete selby and jonathan northcroft they're going to be coming as well uh, but now after this we've got rory smith it's the Reds betting, certainly Neil Atkinson with John Milbert and Paul Senior. Later on, we're going to be chatting about the Liverpool game at the weekend, but we've got little bits and pieces here now of things that grab us. But I'm going to start with all those picks, all those <laughs> picks. Uh, up the Reds, Everton, Leicester and Chelsea all to win. Yeah, Liverpool legends, John Aldridge's picks there. Any hopes, John? You know, it's fantastic, 15 to 4, that is. Uh, I think John just gets these odds boosted and then lumps on. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, they've got him in. He's getting the odds boosted and he's saying, right, I'm all in now, boys. No fan causes getting Aldo's money, are they? <laughs> yeah, and he's not into that. No. He's an ambassador for fans, but thinks it's a great idea and uses it to boost his own odds and victory. Uh, it's the absolute business, this. Fair That's play. what he's. So this time, yet again, he's also managed to pick three teams who all play in blue. Uh, Everton, Leicester and Chelsea all to win uh, for him for that one. Um, the perfect weekend uh, is Liverpool to win and Man United and Everton both to lose. Now, it's 22 to 1 this, and I normally, when I see this, I'm, I'm, I shun this, but I don't fancy United at Bournemouth at all because Bournemouth do loads of things that Man United don't this is like. Just to lose. Yeah. Yeah. And Everton have got Brighton at home who are in a little bit of tidy form, so normally I go, well, well, I'm not sure about this. But 22 to 1. I can talk myself into that, to be honest with you. I can certainly talk myself into us beating Arsenal and Bournemouth really putting United under the cosh. I'm going to question the premise. I don't think United and Everton are any of our business anymore. I'm not bothered. It doesn't, doesn't affect my weekend. <laughs> That's not your perfect my weekend, perfect is weekend is City go down and maybe Chelsea as well. That's the, the premise of the bet needs to be that, I think, in future. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take it up with them and say, come on, lads. <laughs> what do you think, though, 22-1, Everton get beat at home to Brighton off the back of a defeat at United? United themselves were ropey in the end against Everton, a side that go at them. Bournemouth are playing some really nice stuff. Is and it I've lose got or fail to win? Lose. And also to beat Arsenal. The, th- the three 
the three games on a bit of a knife edge, aren't they? And I can see why the odds are generous. Um, it, I think it'd be tough for it all to go in our favour, but it's absolutely a... What a nightmare it, it, in London, mate, if you drop 20 quid on there. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can, uh, <laughs> I, can, I can actually really be talked into that now. Uh, yeah, bear that in mind. Uh, really be talked to that, talked into that. Uh, what else have we got here? We've got Liverpool to win to nil. It's fifteen to four. Is anyone is anyone eager about that one against Arsenal? You, you'd say no because of Arsenal, but you've got to you've got to consider. Obviously, our, our home record, defensive records, really good. Um, I don't see why. I don't see why not. You know, I, we're talking on the show about it being. Being one of these high scoring fixtures wouldn't surprise me if it was one nil. Well, my one on that's more the idea that's that if we went, for instance, two nil up or three nil up, and we were quite imperious, there's every chance that Arsenal, because they've had a load of games, they've got Europa League stuff, they've got you know the game by game that all that everyone just sort of goes, listen, can we just all shake hands and go home? That's the one I always think about with a two nil bet is the idea that both sides just go, yeah, it's all done. This let's just get off. I think that's really important because I, I think. Our ambitions for this season are really, really crystal clear. Mm-hmm. I think from Arsenal's point of view, the bedding in a new manager had a brilliant start. He's ahead of expectations. If they have to just settle for, all right, we've 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 not won against one of the best Liverpool teams in the last decade, we can cop for that and save our legs for the next game. And I think I think that could be a potential outcome that it goes that way. Could be the other one as well. But if you don't fancy that one, but you still have a lot fanciers to win, Liverpool to win and both teams to score is five to two. So that's got a bit of value to it. I love this one uh, because, of course, I would. It's almost like it's designed for me. Daniel Sturridge to score first or last goal, three to one. First or last? Or last, first or so last. So you don't have to nominate? No. Oh, I'd have a bit of that, yeah. Three to one on Daniel there. Uh, good, good on him. I think I'd go one further and just lump it on last. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last I, goal. I'd go like seven to one or whatever it'd be for last goal. There's two I'm going to give you them back to back and I'm. Uh, it tells your story, the, 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 the nature of them. Liverpool to go the whole Premier League season, 18-19, unbeaten at home. Unbeaten at home is two to one. Liverpool to go the whole Premier League season, 18-19, unbeaten, full stop, 20 to one. Ooh. I don't see why you wouldn't you wouldn't have the the in both. I suppose you've got to we've got to go to the Etihad, and that's probably the one. And we've already played City at home. That, that's, already, what, yeah. that's what the one yeah, I yeah. there when I was looking at. It, that's what made me think. It made me think. What they've basically gone there is. Well, we think City could, will probably beat them, but they've can already played you, them once. Can you avoid defeat at the Etihad? Is that better, isn't it? Yeah, yeah we can. Well, look at us. We we can. We, there's evidence to say that we can. Obviously. Um, it's it's gonna it's gonna be a difficult fixture then and you know we're talking about a fixture on January the third now we don't know the circumstances of it but twenty to one yeah go ahead tell a bit of that Joe the, the the period that 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 worries me is Christmas always and that's the one where I wonder about the tired legs or we play United around then as well yeah and that's it so but it's definitely worth it's definitely worth a couple of oh, there you are. Uh, excellent stuff uh, all of this stuff uh, if you do gamble do consider doing it with Reds Bet if you don't it's not for you that's absolutely fine uh, but always be gamble aware we are partnering at the Anfield Wrap with Reds Bet throughout the entirety of 2018 we're very pleased to do so and as was mentioned there though not for John Aldridge uh, 50% of your losses uh, their profits do go to fan related causes uh, do bear that in mind but as I say if it's not for you it's not for you let's get back on with the rest of the weekend as a follow-on from our tour unwrapped show, uh, I spoke to Rory Smith about the idea of well, what do we all do if Manchester City win forever? Uh, on tour unwrapped, we talked about how you define success for a Liverpool manager who could well have a season where he gets more than ninety points and still does not finish top, may not even finish second with more than ninety points in an environment where everybody says, "Well, you've got to win trophies, you've got to win trophies," but then the flip side of that is people only really care about two of them, and they're both really hard to win. And what are the knock-on effects of Manchester City if they win the Premier League forever by over? 
over a hundred points. Uh, Rory Smith, what are the knock on? What is the the knock on effect of the idea that Manchester City could ruin the Premier League by winning it with more than a hundred points for two, three, four years on the bounce? Well, I think that yeah, it, it, it just occurred to me the thought while I was watching the, the Spurs game on Monday because obviously once you get past the pitch and the great big NFL logo in it and the fact that there's empty seats and sort of wonder why are Spurs still in the stadium and is that is that something that should be just we, we should all just be accepting? It did occur to me that, that that's pretty much now that they've played at, played at Spurs and at Liverpool, City have probably got two really tricky away trips left: that's Chelsea and, and Man United that they'd be worried about, and I'm not convinced they'll lose either of them. You wouldn't necessarily bet on them to lose either of them, so it's, it's feasible that they'll go through the entire season unbeaten. Uh, they've only dropped four points. They've dropped four points because Willy Bolly handballed uh, for Wolves and because Riyad Mahrez missed a penalty at Anfield. Other than that, they'd have a perfect record. There doesn't seem to be any kind of consensus amongst teams that you, there might be a way to stop them. I think we're, we're getting to the stage now where teams lower down the table uh, in particularly in, in really busy periods around Christmas and stuff, might send out weakened teams at the Etihad as Mick McCarthy did for Wolves at Man United, I think, in about 2010 uh, and got criticised for, and I think maybe even fined. But to be honest, if you, if you can give your players a rest in a, in a game that you know you're not going to win anyway, you kind of might as well. Um, and it just struck me that that's brilliant. And we, you know, City, I think, have, have taken English football to a new level almost in the way they play and the excellence of how they play and it's 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 enjoyable watching them if you appreciate kind of art in the sense that art is something in its highest form and City is football pretty much in its in its highest form just as Barcelona were uh, sort of 10 years ago um, but what happens if that lasts forever because if they do get 100 points this season which I think is perfectly feasible I'm, I'm you know, take a braver person than me to, to identify places where they might drop another 10, 15, 10 or 11 points, which would keep them under 100, uh, then they will win the title. There's no one, no one else is going to get more than 100 points. As you say, you could get Liverpool and Chelsea both getting more than 90 points, which is normally enough to win it, and not winning it. And not only not winning it, but kind of being quite a long way from winning it. You know, Chelsea could get 91 points and finish 10 points off the leaders. And that has two effects. One is, as you say, it kind of distorts what success is and, and who's done well, which I think is dangerous. But also, I think there does come a point where, where fans may be inclined to not be that interested in it, partly because the Premier League's always sold itself on how competitive it is, and the City continue to be this excellent, they will make it look like it's not very competitive at all. Uh, and the knock-on effect, in fact, there of the other teams chasing them just swatting aside the, the other 14 teams, just beating them every week really easily, not really dropping any points, not really dropping any points. Oh, Arsenal drawn at Crystal Palace, isn't that interesting? Not dropping any points, not dropping any points. I think that will have a, a negative effect on the Premier League. But the other is, because it's City, I don't know how much fans necessarily of other clubs engage with it as a kind of an evil empire to be toppled in the same way as Man United were in the 90s and, and early 2000s, where they were really engaging because they were Man United and there was this sort of groundswell of opposition to them. I don't think a lot of fans feel that strongly about City negatively. I think a lot of fans quite like Guardiola, quite like people like David Silva, Vincent Company, some of their players. Fans generally look relatively positively on Man City, I think. But that doesn't make for a great narrative of who can beat this team. They're, they're basically a quite likeable team who have more money than anyone else, a better manager than anyone else, and better players than anyone else. Watching them win the league predictably is not that interesting. So the the argument almost becomes 
firstly, you almost need them to be baddies um, in some way, shape or form so that there is that sort of collective idea of us all willing to beat them and also maybe that idea that we want to see our, our side, even if we're a side who expects to finish 13th this season, give them a really good game, a really good run for the money, maybe kick a few of them. Whereas at the minute, they don't even sort of have that luster of being, you know, that Man City are coming to town. Well, let's see if we can, let's see if we can give them a scare and, and, and terrify the life out of them. Instead, people would almost be a bit like, well, let's, like our team probably will, let's sit back and admire. Yeah, I think that's, that, that's a really good point. I think there's kind of two things. The thing about the evil empire, the best example is Bayern. So in Germany, they accept that every season starts and Bayern Munich probably will win the Bundesliga. But because it because they have this kind of overarching arrogance, because they're you know they seem to think they're better than everybody else, there is a kind of loving to hate them element which I think keeps people engaged. That you want on an individual basis, you want to see your team beat them, and in a kind of a general basis, you want to see other teams beat them. So if Munchen Gladbach beat Bayern, then then fans of basically everyone except Munchen Gladbach's direct rivals will be quite happy that Gladbach have done it, or if I don't know, Hanover or Stuttgart or whoever can take points off them. There is this is united against Bayern. And I don't think that's true of, of English football and Man City. I don't think that City have that position. Too many people, to be honest, probably have a bit of fondness for City from the years. There's a book out coming out relatively quick, relatively soon called uh, uh, Beneath the Landslide. Called Beneath the Landslide, that's it, about City in the 1990s when they were, maybe not everybody's second team, but people generally quite like Man City because they were kind of hilarious. And that means that you can't dress them up as, as the baddies in in the way that even Chelsea were, I guess, under, under Abramovich, when they just had so much more money. But the other side of the Bayern phenomenon is that there is, I think there's kind of a contract almost between the richest team in the league and the rest of the league, which is that there will be something wrong with the richest team in the league. And with Bayern, for a long time, it was the FC Hollywood thing where they were better than you at football, but there was always the chance there would be a dressing room revolt and that meant that they, they could be got at. They might have some sort of flaw. They might have two or three weeks where they didn't win any games because Stefan Effenberg was refusing to play or something. And or they'd, they'd, they'd appoint one of them, one of Early Furness's mates as manager and he'd be terrible or something, you know, something like that. Something that, that meant they did have an Achilles heel somewhere along the line. There wasn't this feeling of not just invincibility, but invulnerability where everything worked perfectly. And this sounds like a criticism is the exact opposite. City have broken that contract. There is nothing wrong with City. We know they have more money than anybody else because they're backed by Abu Dhabi, whose, whose pockets are effectively bottomless, whether that's through direct cash injections or through things like the tie-ins with Etisalat and, and what have you, which has boosted Man City's revenue enormously so that they are still in line, uh, theoretically, with FFP. They've got more money than anybody else. They're better run than anybody else. They have a, a better kind of overall plan in terms of the, the, the youth system and the, the sister clubs than anybody else. They, they have the best manager. They, you know, they have arguably the best manager in the world, possibly of his generation. They're, they're playing better football than anybody else. They're more attractive than anybody else. They have better players than anybody else. They, you know, they're coached better. Everything is, is perfect as Man City. It is this kind of paradise of a club and in theory you think their fans would be delighted by that but that's not necessarily the feeling I get I get from quite a lot of City fans I think it leaves some City fans a little bit cold and I also think it leaves everybody else a little bit cold there's kind of nothing to, there's too much sheen there's too much it's too pristine that you that you can't really engage with it and I think that because they are so perfect in every way that it means there isn't that glimmer of hope 
that there is every season in, in Germany, no matter how strong Bayern look, that it might all blow up. And it's ha- it looks like it might happen this year in Germany again, that, that Bayern have kind of appointed the wrong manager, maybe. They, they've messed up a little bit in the transfer market. They haven't replaced players who are getting older. They seem a bit stale. The Dortmund are top, and I think Bayern, as we record this, are third. It may well be that Bayern overhaul Dortmund and, and win the league anyway, but at least there'll be a bit of a race. And there is a sense that you can get at Bayern. I think Wolfsburg and Gladbach have both beaten them this season. They've dropped points to Augsburg and other people. There is a sense that, that this is not a vintage year for Bayern. And there is an acceptance in Germany that every, every season, Bayern will probably win the league. But you kind of know that every few years, they don't because they, they shoot themselves in the face. I can't see City doing that. There is, there is one juncture where you think that might happen and that's when Guardiola leaves. But until that point, I'm not sure it's going to happen. And I think, mm. maybe slightly kind of conspiratorially, I think there's quite a few clubs who are looking at Man City and thinking, well, we can't topple them until Guardiola goes, so let's just make sure we're ready for that point. There's, I mean, how this impacts other clubs is for me as interesting as the City thing itself because I'm, I'm conscious from, from the, the point of view of watching Liverpool every week. Not so much, you know, there's, there was some talk this week about uh, I, I was particularly grumpy after Liverpool against Cardiff and one of the reasons why, well, one of the reasons all the people presumed why was because I was worried about goal difference and it really wasn't anything to do with goal difference. It was because I thought Liverpool were rubbish against Cardiff. But one of the, the, the knock-on effects of this is what it therefore does do to other teams. And that's where, you know, for me, the, the, the Liverpool thing becomes interesting and instructive. I did loads of media with other, other podcasts, other, other fans before the season started, and all of them wanted to make me say that if Jurgen Klopp doesn't win something this season, he's not a very good Liverpool manager. And this is, you know, and one of the things I was saying was, well, there's every chance that, you know, Liverpool break 90 points um, and don't win the league and get to a Champions League final and lose to one of Juventus, Real Madrid, Manchester City themselves. And then are we then saying, oh, well, Liverpool have, you know, Jürgen Klopp yet again, terrible season. And isn't that the worry in a sense as well, is that the distorting effect it has on, not just on the idea of what the bottom 10 do home and away against Manchester City, but that it could end up, if, if people aren't careful, almost having a distorting effect on what does or doesn't constitute people who are good at football, good at football management, good football teams end up in a in an oddly fallow period while everyone's just hanging on and hoping Guardiola goes. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that, that in the media, whether that's the, the legacy media, as we like to think of ourselves, or, or fan-related media, I think that's something we have to be really conscious of because, I mean, you can, you can do it already. You can look at the starts of the season that Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs and Arsenal have had, which certainly in Liverpool's case is the best for, what, 30 years? Maybe yeah. more? Spurs, I think it's certainly it's their best ever start to a Premier League season, or it was until the um, the City game on Monday. And it, obviously, all these things depend on kind of where do you determine when the start stops, if you see what I mean. Um, is it six games? Is it ten games? Is it thirty-seven yeah. games? I don't know. Um, they are all breaking records. You know, Chelsea are on course for. I don't know, 90 points, I would guess. No, Chelsea, Chelsea are on court, on court. My thing about Liverpool, Liverpool and Chelsea at the minute, Liverpool are on course. If they if they keep this rate up and they've played a decent spread of teams, if anything, the games get a bit easier for Liverpool. Liverpool are on course, like Manchester City, to be played 30, 78 points. Chelsea are on course yeah. to be played uh, pl- to, a bit, to be played 30, uh, 72 points. And so they're both on course for the idea of, of you know, if, if, Chelsea had, if Chelsea had played 30, 72 points, and that feels a bit more realistic for, for Liverpool than played 30, uh, 78 points. So if both sides are on played 30, 72 points, then they're 18 points from their remaining eight games away from breaking 90. And that is, yeah. you know, and that, that, that's an astonishing rate of knots to go at. And it is. In most seasons, you'd, you'd say that 90 points, anyone who gets 90 points has had a great season. But as you say, the danger is that 
you get to the end of the season and City have got 102 points and Liverpool and Chelsea both got 90 and suddenly it looks like, well, they couldn't keep up with Manchester City. And that becomes the narrative rather than this is kind of a gauge of how, of how outstanding this Manchester City team is that they have made two excellent teams in Liverpool and Chelsea look not, not ordinary, but adrift. And it's partly because there is a distorting effect of excellence and the better the, the outstanding team is, the worse everybody else looks. But there's also, I don't know, I don't want to sound like an old man, but there's this weird thing that you see, not just for Liverpool, but Spurs as well, about what, what, what have they won? And you see fans telling Spurs, people telling Spurs fans that Pochettino shouldn't be in line for the United job or the Real Madrid job because what's he won? And you think, well, he's won the fact that five years ago, Spurs were kind of a joke. And now they are constantly in the Champions League. For two years, they were the only contenders to the team that won the title. They mounted two proper title challenges. They've got one of the best strikers in Europe. They're, you know, they've got a settled team, most of whose players would walk into any other team individually, apart from maybe City and to an extent Liverpool. And they are a force at home and abroad. That's what Pochettino's won. The, what you said before was quite right, that people say, oh, what's he won? But then if you win the League Cup, everyone knows, well, it's only the League Cup. If you win the FA Cup, people go, oh, it's only the FA Cup. If you win the Champions League, and this happened to Liverpool in 2005, people say, well, they only finished fifth in the league. And so it basically means if you win the Premier League, you have to, the only gauge of success now is winning the Premier League. And that has always been nonsense, but it's particularly nonsense when you have a team like Manchester City that not only has the best manager and the best players in the league by some distance, but is backed by an oil state. That, that is not a fair gauge of what counts as being good at football management or being a good football team. It, it makes no sense. And it's something that, that I think as the, as the season wears on and potentially as next season wears on and the season after that, which I think will probably be Guardiola's last at City, that we're all going to have to be, become a lot more kind of fluent in, in, in couching what we define as success, given the context that we are living in. And if the context is that you have a Man City team that potentially gets more than 100 points two or three or four years, either in a row or out of four, then you have to be aware of the fact that um, perhaps getting 90 points and coming third isn't that bad. Um, one more, one little comparison point that I want to make is Juventus. Juventus have won seven consecutive Serie A's. Um, people listening probably do know that, but um, it's worth saying it for the people who don't. And I would argue that perhaps one of the reasons why the people who don't don't know it is because they don't particularly care about Serie A. And the reason why is because Juventus have won seven consecutive Serie A's. Juventus are top currently, played 10, won nine, drawn one. Uh, they're also flying in the Champions League group. They're six points clear at the top of Serie A this season. And I think that's... You know, for instance, last season there was loads of blood and guts in Juventus versus Napoli, and in the end, Juventus did it, Rory. But it is fair to say, isn't it? You know, if there is a comparison point here, it's that no one particularly cares on the whole or keeps that that much abreast of what's happening in Serie A. And that can sound harsh, and there might be people listening to this who take real issue with that, who care about the fortunes of Lazio, who care about the fortunes of Sampdoria or Parma. Uh, but there is there is a thing here, isn't there, that Juventus are the are a comparison point with seven consecutive titles in the bag and you would say already absolutely nailed on to make it uh, to make it eight. Oh, hello. Yeah, I might just let my um, my son answer this question because he seems to be uh, keen to get involved. <laughs> the, um, no, I think there comes a point where you don't have to look at the table anymore and I, I feel like that with Serie A. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Italian football devotee as I think a lot of people in my generation are but there comes a point where you, yeah, you kind of want, want to know who's, um, who's second or third but you're not that fussed about checking who's first because you know and that's not great for a league and the worst thing for the Premier League 
is that it's the only league in Europe that's always sold itself on how competitive it is. If Manchester City make a mockery of that, then that probably has a, a bigger knock-on impact than it would in Italy or Germany or Spain. OK, great to speak to Rory uh, and his son joining us uh, for the first time. First uh, first broadcast interview, as far as I know. Uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's get back on with the weekender. For the first time on the Anfield Wrap, what we're about to do is, is give over our space uh, to another football club's podcast. Uh, for Fox's sake, uh, Pete Selby has been joining us on the Anfield Wrap for, for, for a number of years now. Uh, and with the tragic events of what happened last week in Leicester, we decided to, to give this space over to Pete. Uh, and he's spoken to a friend of the show, Jonathan Northcroft, about the events in Leicester, the legacy of them. And here is Pete. Yes, uh, myself and Jonathan are standing outside the King Power Stadium. Maybe you hear cars in the background. We're by the Floral Tributes, which is slowly growing on TV and in the papers. You may have seen many people up in the Liverpool area would have seen the tributes. And it's literally behind one goal of the stadium the whole width of the ground are now starting to move around and Jonathan you've just walked out of the uh, the press conference a very somber press conference I'd imagine yeah I mean very um, very somber very restrained sort of atmosphere um, but I think quite a necessary step for, for Leicester to take I mean this is going to be a really long and slow process of, of, of really trying to make sense of what's happened to try and get back to normal and perform the normal functions of a football club and you know one of the first steps is is, is the press conference ritual which is the window from to the world um, for you know the, the, the public statements of the club and it was Claude Puel who did that today um, who read out a short statement that he'd written himself handwritten um, it was it was you know it was pretty moving he, he spoke in sort of slightly broken English but very Genuinely, you could tell it was it was his. It wasn't a sort of PR statement or anything. Um, and he managed to express quite well the idea uh, that that at this moment it's step by step, as he said, a day at a time. That, that although they're playing on on Saturday against Cardiff, what actually happens in the game isn't particularly important. It's 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 a cathartic experience for the the players. It's about really just just trying to. To, to, to get back to um, some sort of semblance of, of normality and um, the family uh, top and, and, and the rest of the family were part of the decision to play so it's, it's also I think what, um, what the chairman would have wanted and that's one of the key aspects it's, it's what the chairman would have wanted it's what top has said and the relationship between top and Vishai and the family regarding Leicester players and the supporters and the wider community it's that relationship really that fans of other clubs and non-football fans mm. have really learnt about over the last few days yeah. the connection to the city is something that being a, a local lad myself that we've seen over the eight years or so that uh, they've been in charge and own the football club and this is obviously the biggest thing that's ever happened to the football club it's a, a huge personal disaster and on top of all the tributes, obviously we have to remember that there were five people who died in the crash on Saturday night. And the relationship between the players and the owners, I heard about Kasper Schmeichel in the press conference, but also Schmeichel being one of the, the long-standing players at the club, Absolutely. signed in 2011. Absolutely. And players like Schmeichel, yes, there was success on the field, yes, there was financial reward for the players, but people like Schmeichel, Vardy, etc., them 
still playing for Leicester, still being here. Yeah. Half the reason is because of their relationship on a personal basis with the owners. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think we're in a period of football where because of big money because because of the the kind of global nature of it that it can feel like a bit of a machine sometimes and and i think we're all looking for meaning in it and i think even players are looking for meaning in it um which is why you know going slightly off track but it's why things like style of play and, and, and enjoyment have become actually really important to footballers you didn't used to hear them talk about i want to play for this manager because he plays great football or you know i want to I want to go there because it's it's fun but you do hear them talk about that now and I think the sense of meaning that, 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 that the players have got at Leicester is really powerful. Uh, if we didn't already understand it through watching Leicester win the title in 2015-16, I think we should understand it now. And the outpouring and, and the genuine grief that, that we were watching them suffer is, is very much part of that. And, and, and what has made Leicester different, what made Vichai different as, a, as an owner, I think was his connection, his personal connection with the people who work for him. The players who played for him, um, I've you know, Pete, you're, you're a Leicester lad. I've I, I arrived in the city nearly three years ago, and it's more than three years ago, um, and I'm still getting to know it. But it, it immediately struck me as a family place, um, a bit similar to where I grew up in Aberdeen, um, and this is a family football club. And the word I keep hearing from fans and from people who work for the club is family, and and. I think that is what uh, Vichai sort of represented and how he tried to run his business as, as families rather than as sort of mega corporations. And, and something about that and the chemistry with Leicester as a place has really been pretty powerful. I think a lot of stories that, again, fans of, of other clubs would have heard over the last few days. In terms of the little things that made the owners of Leicester special... To, to normal genuine fans of the club I've got relatives yeah. who have season tickets here and they've had season tickets for, for years and years and years and the stories of, of donuts and beers yeah. on birthdays and mince pies these little things do go a long way but when you donate money to the local hospital when you leave bottles of whiskey outside the memorial garden uh, before every single game so people can toast people who aren't with us these little things come from the top come from the football club and they all are revolved around the word family and belonging together it's a one club city and they've not had a lot of success on the field and obviously the highlight being winning the league in 2016 but those personal touches meant an awful lot I will go further and and say when they played in the Champions League seeing Hmm. Top and seeing Vishai walking around Copenhagen, Seville yeah. with the fans, stopping, having photos. Every time people say thank you to Vishai, he would stop and say, No, thank you. Yeah. You're a supporter. Yeah. And before people going into bars and restaurants, he would be donating money behind the counter to bring the prices down. Yeah. Didn't want any publicity. Yeah. And it's it's these things that have now started to come out of Leicester, and fans of other clubs have turned around and gone, you know. A, what a nice story, what a nice club. They've obviously seen the success on the field, but it's these stories which I think has affected the wider football community. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the Champions League, because because the, the, my mates who are Leicester fans talk about seeing Leicester in the Champions League as almost being better than the title. I don't know, something about yeah. the... I don't know, you tell me. Is it, is it something about the... 
I don't know, exporting what Leicester have got abroad? or, or just... Well, in, in terms of, if, if you put the analogy with Liverpool fans, for example, yeah. with all the success they've had in Europe, the, the European nights at Anfield, for example, yeah. the atmosphere is always better. The same here at the King Power. When we had Porto turn up, when we had Copenhagen with all the fireworks, when we turned teams over when we had Seville here, going abroad and following Leicester has never happened. Mm. And on the plane on the way there, you've got the pilot saying dilly-ding-dilly-dong <laughs> over the tunnel. And at the top of all this is Vishai. Because of the money, yes, he's pumped into the club and also the success on the field. But when you're walking around, genuinely, you've got fans, and we're quite straightforward people in Leicester. We don't ask for yeah. a lot. Um, quite straight talking, no nonsense. Yeah. It's how we like our football as well. Yeah. You know, As long as you put the effort in, win or lose we will respect the players on the field. And when you're walking around foreign countries and, and cities watching Leicester in Europe, you are walking around with your head high going, A, I can't believe this in terms of a football sense. But a lot of people were raising drinks to Vichai yeah. in all the bars, all the restaurants. And it was, for me, a better experience mm. than the league, mainly because I was so nervous through those last yeah, few yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, It's it, Because it, he, brought, he brought a glamour, didn't he? I mean, uh, on top of all the other things he brought... And the helicopter was part of that. There was something incredibly... It's a, you get a childlike excitement about that image, about the helicopter landing, and this guy, this sort of father figure who's, who's sort of come from, almost miraculously come from outside and is doing stuff for the club, you know, arriving and, and, and being there and then going away again. And there's something incredibly powerful about that, incredibly glamorous. And I think what you're talking about... Uh, taking Leicester then abroad, taking Leicester to Europe, taking the club to places it had never been, I guess to America to, you know, be part of the, you know, I know it's a meaningless tournament, but there was a real prestige of being part of, 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 of all that kind of stuff that, um, I mean, like, it, 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 in a small way, it reminds me of, of, of being an Aberdeen supporter and, and us having our little era where we suddenly were playing Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. But, and we and we were owned by a local businessman who whose son had actually played for the club. There was a really powerful thing there, but I was probably too young to really appreciate it. And it's only when you you live a life in football, you get older, you see how many different stories there are. How how many clubs aren't run like that? How many clubs are dislocated from their community? And then you recognise it when you see it again. And it's definitely here in Leicester. And it's it's the way that Vishai carried himself as well. Um, you might have owners of a football club who are distant and will financially float the club and, mm. a, a, and provide funds for transfers, etc. That's one way of going about things. You might have um, an owner who is in the dressing room all the time yeah. or starts to change some of your history, changing colours, and, yeah. and you, uh, everyone knows the stories of owners then who would take money out of clubs and the clubs would, would fall apart and go down the football pyramid, Blackpool, Coventry, Portsmouth, just to name a few. But with Vishite, he was always at the ground. He was always here at the King Power for the vast majority of home games. And he was seen but never heard. Yeah. And when, I mean, he was seen, it wasn't from a distance. You could go up and shake his hand and you could have a photo and you could tell him about a story and he'll listen. And many of the things around the King Power Stadium that have changed over the years, yes, it's still relatively a new stadium, but being updated constantly all the time. And... The little conversations that fans had with Vishai got passed down. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, they happened in the ground. And people have said to me over the last two or three years, 
the big new screens or or little adages around the ground. This picture here, this picture there. I mentioned that to him, and yes, sometimes the connection might not be made, but you feel that you had an opportunity to approach him, and he had that quiet dignity as well. Um, he gave a lot of trust to managers. He gave a lot of trust yeah. to Susan Whelan and also to John Rudkin at the football club as well. And before that, managers and also directors of football. And he allowed them to do the job. There's many stories of people and journalists trying to have a word with uh, Vishai and then him pushing the manager in front saying, nope, this yeah. is the guy you want to talk to, yeah. or this is Susan Whelan, chief executive. This is the person you want to talk to. Mm-hmm. He employed the right people. He trusted them. He gave them the appropriate funds to go and do their job. Yeah, he did. He wasn't in it for personal glory. He he was elusive. If you if you remember the press, um, he was very low key. Um, but but there was a, a a dignity to that, and and I think the only thing he he really wanted, um, I guess in 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 PR terms, if we're, if we're being kind of blunt like that, was he was incredibly proud of, of, of Thailand, of his country, of, of, of his king, and, and of course that Leicester had become part of, of that story and, 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 and there was the, the, the sort of pride of showing Leicester off and showing Thailand off. Apart from that, that wasn't a personal thing, that was, a, I guess, a national pride thing, and apart from that, he didn't seek publicity, he didn't seek interviews, he didn't seek to, to, to aggrandise himself or sell anything on the back of it, in fact, quite the opposite. He was usually giving stuff away. You know, the guy was worth $4 billion or whatever, so, yeah, he was a rich man, and giving out T-shirts or giving, you know, baking butties for fans leaving on, on buses maybe is a drop in the ocean to someone like that. But how many owners do it? Almost none. So it did, you know, it, it, it was unique in itself. Giving £2 million to the local hospital, yeah, OK, you can afford it, but how many people do that? Still £2 million. And also in the style of of when he made the announcements um, in an end of season yeah. a, a awards, no publicity. There was no forewarning. Yeah. Just suddenly announced. I, I was there that night, and and it really was just a scrap of paper being handed to Manish Bashan, who was doing the the comparing. There wasn't any big sort of fanfare. It really, it, it was almost a spontaneous. Maybe it was a spontaneous gesture, you know. And and there's there's so many stories you mention. Fans would say something, and then a few months later it might pop up at the stadium I mean I, I think we've only scratched the the surface of, 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 of the stories of donations and generosity because a lot of things he did were private they, 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 he didn't seek publicity for them and maybe they'll they'll never be talked about but but you know they're there you, you, you hear from on the grapevine of, of you know small example was the, the poor guy who lost his, his family in the gas explosion and, and of course what the Leicester do they open the ground up to allow him to use it for, for his wake and they provide food and, and there's a lot, myriad stories like that. I suppose one of the stories which I've seen and we were discussing before um, before we're recording this and, and, and that's uh, Watford fans yeah. who will be here in a few weeks time wanting to have a, a banner and the banner I think reads not only for Watford, I was thinking about this on, on the way here today, whether this would just apply for teams outside of the top six and, and the banner says you know thank you Vishai um for allowing us all to dream because everyone did follow the Leicester story and I think it does apply for the top six teams as well I think if you're a fan of United or Liverpool etc and also for those clubs who are involved in that title race as well it's not just that it's and especially with Watford you go back to the Troy Deeney goal in the playoffs and the way that's (laughs) 
Vichai kept the team together, yes, under the stewardship, kept Nigel, Mm -hmm. kept the players, and we'll go again. We'll go again and we'll try and get promotion. And, of course, they did in record style. But uh, I think it's very poignant, and I think there'll be a lot of clubs, and we can see the tributes just next to us, to our left, as we're recording this, uh, around the King Power Stadium. There are flags, there's flags, there's uh, shirts, there's scarves from nearly every football club. There's plenty of stories of Southampton fans turning up, obviously not knowing the game that wasn't on on Tuesday night in the Carabao Cup, but still making their trip from the south coast Mm. to then lay shirts and flags and wreaths down. There's been stories of fans from the northwest turning up. Yeah, there has, yeah. I mean, I I was here on uh, on Wednesday morning uh, first thing I saw was an old fella in an absolute United shirt, and you think, my, what journey, what journey have you made? Uh, and I was told that a busload of Liverpool fans turned up uh, on the Tuesday night. Uh, they were on their way to the the Checker Trade game or whatever it was on the twenty three thing, and um, and asked to divert to the, the the King Power so that they could pay their respects. You see Juventus shirts, Inter Milan shirts. Uh, but then you also see, um, you mentioned Pete, non-football shirts, rugby shirts, or local sort of kids' teams. Um, I think it is a universal story. I think it does mean something to the big clubs as well. You know, uh, I lived in Liverpool before. I, I, I lived, reported through the years of Hicks and Gillette, and the club then nearly falling into receivership. And um, it, you know, the biggest clubs have had their experiences of of. of um, bad ownership of, of dislocation of, of of nearly losing the special thing that's made them the club that they are um, and I think anyone can relate to the owner that, that, that arrives and arrives from somewhere completely different in the world but gets it gets what the club's about and restores it and nurtures it and builds it and makes it even more powerful and I think everybody wants that, every football fan wants that whether it's the biggest or the smallest club yeah, from our position next to the King Power, uh, we can see in the background the actual hospital that was given money by Vishai. There's the cricket ground uh, just next to the, the stadium, which has been given an awful lot of money by the football club and by Vishai himself actually wandered in and uh, gave the money for the ability to um, for him to learn about the game of cricket and also to improve the facilities which will then be used by Leicester fans on match days. It's, um, it, it's quite a little area um, where the King Power is. The, the Welford Road, the Tigers Ground's not far away, the top of the stand I can see, and we're not uh, far away from the race course, of course. He was massively interested in horse racing, one of uh, my yeah. key sports, and King Power Racing putting an awful lot of money in and rumours about he was interested in buying the uh, the OB race course, Leicester race course, and uh, there was a minute silence there. I was there on Monday uh, afternoon. Um, and I suppose the hardest thing at the moment is is talking about football. Yeah. What happens on the field? I'm personally quite surprised they're playing on Saturday, um, but obviously it's a decision taken by the football club and especially, and number one, the players. Um, yeah. And the word from the football club was if one player in the first team squad didn't want to play then none of them play and they're going to go to Cardiff first of all if you're a Cardiff supporter and you're at the ground and you go into the ground what mixed feelings you must have and what a, what a strange atmosphere and it will be and then a week's time Burnley will turn up at the King Power it's the Remembrance Day fixture which Leicester do very well every single year this year obviously what, a, what an atmosphere it's going to be as well yeah. um, a game that I think an awful lot of people would want to go to but also not want to go to mm. um, but how do Leicester move on from here they've, they've got a manager mm. who is slightly under pressure Claude Powell 
he's, in my opinion, the perfect manager for this situation. Very calm, very level-headed. And, of course, all ambition on the club, on the pitch, goes out the window. Mm. It's a case of pretty much taking stock at the end of the season and then going on in terms of the football club and who's in charge who's who's the owner because of course top he's still a young man yeah and i would count him as a young man still because he's the same age as me so um and i couldn't run a football club yeah. for example there needs to be some big decisions and i know it's a hard thing to say at this time but there's going to be some big decisions made there is and and, and you know top's also got to run the king power uh, duty free empire which is you know, a multi-billion-pound corporation, and he's a young man, and and, and that's on the other side of the world. Um, this club is in a, a, a period of transition on the pitch. I guess we're seeing the, I guess, final, almost the final phasing out of the the, the title-winning squad. Um, a young, younger team starting to to emerge, but you know, there's, there's a lot of work to be done in finding what the combinations are, what the right players are. It's a, it's a work that Puel's been trying to do, but it's been under pressure as a result. Um, it all of this is is I, I don't know I, I, I was going to try and make some kind of judgment whether it makes it easier or more difficult I got no idea because this is uncharted territory just don't know just don't know that's exactly my position I think that's the position of all the fans and I think the position of all the fans is they don't know but also at the moment they don't care it it doesn't it doesn't really matter what happens on the field um, we'll just have to wait and see and wait and see is. Really, the picture at the, at, the, at the ground at the moment. There's there's hundreds of people here. Uh, we've had Claudio Ranieri turn up the first time Claudio's yeah. been back to the King Power um, since he was sacked in uh, in early 2017. And and well, what a what a time to come back to the King Power. But uh, from yeah. well, myself and Jonathan, we're standing outside the King Power, seeing all the tribute still flooding in. And I'll be uh, amazed if they're not halfway down the East End at the side of the field if you've been to the King Power the entrance where the away fans um, walk into the King Power basically you can't get there because there's so many flowers there's so many shirts and also scarves adorning uh, rails that have been put up and uh, well it's a city in mourning and we'll just have to wait and see what happens can't thank Pete and Jonathan enough uh, for doing that. Uh, very, very kind of them indeed. Uh, other things that have happened early this week and are happening this week, there's the Talk Tonight gig and John Gibbons got some people in and had a lovely chat. And it's the weekend of It's John Gibbons and I'm here to talk about the Talk Tonight gig that's going on this evening. Um, a couple of weeks ago, you might remember, we got a few of the charities who are benefiting from this fantastic gig. So we did James Place and Paul's Place and we got people speaking about that. Today, I'm delighted to say we've got some of the artists who are performing tonight. We've got Louis Berry, who's the headline act, and Jamie Webster, who's performing as well boys welcome thank you how's it going yeah all good nice yeah. to see you again Louis yeah it's been, a, you, been yeah. a bit of a while um, Jamie first of all um, I know you were involved in, ter- in terms of the idea of putting on this gig um, both of us knew, knew Mick Woodburn we were together with him out in the, in the summer in America and just a little bit on, on the idea of how it des- you decided it wanted to be a gig to, to remember him and, and how, how the sort of it's kind of snowballed from there early yeah well it was in um, Hotel Tia after the Chelsea game at yeah. home. It was a couple of days after we got the news and speaking to a lad who grew up with me, John Mullen and Tizza and a few few of his mates like Walshie and people like that. Yeah. And we were just talking about how, how bad it was to it comes to this and the same thing that happened with Neil Yozerus. Yeah. I think we just collectively decided that it, it, it was right that we, we do something to... 
stand together and you know and show people you know that they don't have to go through what these two lads have gone through and if we can do it by raising a lot of money for charity in, in a gig what a, what a perfect way to do it like you know what I mean yeah um, I know you were someone who was it was high on the wish list Louis I don't think you were planning on playing Liverpool kind of anytime soon but yeah. was it was it you know as soon as you heard about it you thought it was something you wanted to support yeah you know I've just been announced for that Sand City gig yeah um, and you know Usually around the time of announcing a festival and things like that, you don't want to put another gig on in case it, you know, takes a little bit away from that. But Jamie got in touch with me, you know, told me what it was about and all that. You know, it's something that's a little bit close to me. So, you know, I've suffered with things like that myself, anxiety, panic attacks and things like that. And I thought, you know, how can I say no to this? You know, I should definitely do it. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I've often admired about, about you, Louis, is not just your music, but the way you have been very open about yourself and what you've been through and you've talked in videos about sort of your childhood and difficult moments and stuff like that. And I think it, it's great that you do that because you're obviously sort of quite a tough guy on stage and, and you know, you're the, the persona around around you. I'm not saying persona in a negative way, you know what I mean? But, but if... But you'll always talk about, you know, how, you know, it hasn't always been easy for me and there's tough things and there's tough things that we all go through in life that we, you know, you need to work to come through. Yeah, you know, it's important, I think, you know, as artists, you know, especially as artists, you know, you, you live a different kind of lifestyle. You know, you're doing music videos and then music videos and things like that portray a different start, kind of lifestyle again. Yeah. But, you know, it's not always real, you know, that's, you know, that's just circumstantial, that's what's going on you know, because of the music and things like that. You know, in reality, you know, with things like this that we're talking about today, what's going on in your head is a completely different thing. So I think it's important to, you know, make sure you touch on that and let people know that, you know, we're human as well. And and, and you're just, yeah. you know, we're the same as you, you're the same as us. I mean, it's going to be a really good night, Jamie, isn't it? I think that's what we, we want to get across to everyone. The musicians who, who are involved are, are all excellent. They all know how to work a crowd that's going to be fun. But it, it's also the idea of pe- walking away maybe making people more likely to speak to the friends, maybe making people more knowledgeable about, about things like James Place and Paul Place who, who were there to help people in the city and maybe just getting people to open up a bit more and make it a bit more normal to talk about the kind of things we're talking about today. Well, yeah, for your first point, the night in itself, the first thing i done was just, in, in the top of my head, rally around the best musicians that I know. Yeah. Best live acts who you know, who are, who are from Liverpool and who can relate to this when you are, you know, Always willing to help out the fellow scouts and everything, everything else that comes with it. But as far as what you said after it, it's yeah. definitely <clears throat> it's not just. And Louis touched on this yesterday when we were talking. It's not just the night. You know what I mean. It's it's the knock-on effect after it. Like you said, you want people to hopefully you know if there's someone there that night who might be going through a tough time themselves. You know they could walk away from it with with a plan of action or something yeah. like that. One person would be brilliant on the night and. Yeah, it's just as far as I'm, it's 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 a bit of a touchy one to talk no, about. It's, okay, you know I mean? it's just uh, like thinking about obviously mixed family and stuff yeah. like that. I want ultimately the the original image in my head was for Michael's family and Yoz's family to be stood there and look around, and see see this man headline, see everyone bouncing up and down, and see see the banner that's gonna be done. So, yeah, you know have an idea of how much money's being raised to help people like their sons and they can, you know, they can take something from it themselves. But yeah, it's just it's it's gonna be a really good night for anyone who who is listening and I'm mumbling and stumbling like that. <laughs> no, I was saying to Jamie yesterday though I was saying, you know, I, I think it's important that it's not just, 
you know, not to take anything away from you know Jamie's friends because I didn't know the lads personally, but it needs to be for more than that, you know, in order to honour them really, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, working with this charity, we was even talking about having someone near on the night that if you do come down here, I've got little issues going on and little yeah. problems you might have that you can speak to someone on the night of the gig. Do you know what I mean? The gig, look, the gig's about enjoying yourself and having yeah. a good time. You know what I mean? But obviously, there's a serious, you know, serious side to it as well. And yeah, I think it's important that we can, you know, encourage more people to come out. You know what you were saying before. You know, I'm a lads lad. Jamie's a lads lad, and you know, you tend to hold things in through pride and. You know, trying to put on this persona or this image that I'm, I'm fine all the time, but it's not always the case. Yeah, I think for for me and the kind of journey I've been through, you know, I'm sort of maybe less of a lad's lad. But even even for me, it's been kind of well, that's what other people kind of suffer from, and not you. And then when it starts, you're like, yeah, but it's not as I'm not depressed or whatever, or, or I've got or you hear about people in in real extreme situations. So I've sort of kind of suffered from anxiety and stuff like that, and I've realised that now. But because you think, oh no, that. So that's you know the the idea of mental health. You're like, oh, that's that's other people. That that that's not gonna not me. And I think for me, a big a big step was realizing that everyone's got mental health, like physical health, and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. And there's things you can do to work on it and and improve it. And that was a big step for me, really. And so I like the idea of stuff like this normalizing the talk about. You know what I mean? It's it's not just about well, some people are. Some people aren't savable and some people are, are depressed and they're gone and other, other, everyone else is kind of okay. It's actually we're all on this scale and we can move about it and we can help each other and there's things you can do and there's things you can do yourself or you can, there's talking to other yeah. people and, and they can help you as well to make sure that no one's going to be all right all of the time but we can be better a lot more of the time. Yeah, you know, as you said, there's different extremes of it and, you know, that can move, you know, within one person a lot, you know, over a short period of time. You know, you can go from being you know, really down to feeling great the next day. It's, it's a strange thing. Um, but one of the most daunting things I'd say is, you know, if, if you are struggling with something like that, is to say to yourself, I've got a problem. Yeah. And I'm going to walk into this, you know, like, for example, a charity, I'm going to walk into this building and say, I've got a problem, can you help me? That, you know, that, even for me, that's unrealistic. Because it's such a, as I said before, you know, you've got the pride thing going on. And also... A problem's not permanent, but at the time you can feel like it's going to be. So yeah. you don't want to admit to yourself, I've got a problem. Because you, you're trying to put that permanent mark on yourself. Sorry, you're putting that permanent thing on yourself then. I've got a problem. But, you know, as you said, you know, we can move around and hopefully by encouraging people to talk about it, you know, things can, you know, the, the load can be lightened mm. instantly by just speaking to someone. And then from there, you know, gradually you will get stronger and stronger and become back to your normal self again. Yeah, I mean this is a this is a football podcast, Jamie, and obviously you're you're best known for your involvement in boss nights and stuff like that. It does, although we're we're, mem- we're remembering two lads we knew from the match. You know, I'm telling everyone if you if you're into music, you'll enjoy it. If you're into having a laugh with your mates, you're going to enjoy the night. We're not going to be on stage singing Liverpool songs if, no. if we can help it, unless no. unless I get too drunk. Um, you know, it's going to be a night of music, your mates supporting each other, enjoying it, male, female, young, old. Everyone's going to have a good time. Yeah, well, I, I said yesterday on a t- talking with Louis and a couple of other people, it's it's, it's more like a night of scout solidarity more yeah. than anything. It doesn't necessarily mean, you know, it's only for scouts and everything else like yeah. that, but it's it's going to be just local artists performing original, authentic, raw music, you know, and it's, like I said, it's going to be the peach fuzz at the main support and then this man's going to take the roof off at the end. 
And these are two of the, the best live acts that you're going to see in music now. Yeah. You know? And I think anyone who's listening who's in two minds about coming down just for the music alone, never mind how yeah. much money it's going to raise for charity and, and, and how, what it's going to do for people outside of the events and afterwards, just for the, the music alone, it's well worth coming down to see because... I mean, I'm going to be playing, I mean... I'm I was going to say, let's not forget Jamie's playing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I always talk people up, but I am going to be playing some of my own original songs. Which would be nice for people to hear who maybe haven't heard that before. Yeah. I've heard some of your songs that I think are great, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to... to Thanks for that, John. <laughs> I'm looking for, I haven't seen it myself, no. I'm looking forward to Sound, it. Sound, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's a bit like, you know, it's, the lyrics are bold, I'll say that, like, you yeah. know what I mean? But... Um, as I say, I'm just open. I've had a lot of people asking me now, you know, when are you going to be playing your own stuff and when can I get some of your own stuff? Well, all that's, that, that'll come apparent in another time, but on Friday night I will be playing about four or five of my own songs. Probably songs that not many people are all of it because I've only written one of them about a week and a half ago, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, from my part, I'm going to give all I've got, like I always do. Yeah. And there's no question with this man either. And another point I want to make as well, talking about how it is okay to talk and how talking does, you know, lighten the load. Kieran Molyneux, who's obviously yeah. a lot of Liverpool fans will know, he's a good friend of mine. He's, he backed me up with lead guitar and backing vocals on Boss Nights. We jam together now and again. And Kieran went through a rough time two years ago, a really, really rough time. And uh, something that, if it happened to me, I don't think I'd be able to be sat here talking about things like this. Yeah. And I was speaking to Kieran about it around the time we were doing putting this night on, we were getting the, the wheels in motion. And Kieran said, you know, with what happened to me, the reason that I'm still here to, to play guitar with you, Jay, is because I've spoke to people, I've turned to me, mate, I've turned to the people I've got around me. And he said, it'd mean a lot to me if you let me play on the night, even yeah. if I'm just opening up. So, of course, he's, he's opening up. So, if Kieran will be on between 7 and 20 past, half past, it's not confirmed yet, but, you know, get down and support him because... You know, he, he feels really close to what we're all here yeah. for. And, yeah, that's just something I wanted to throw in. No, no, definitely. And he's a, he's a really talented musician, a way of seeing anyway. So get down as early as possible. We're going to open the doors as early as we can on the nights. Then it's Kevin on first, then it's Timo, then it's the shipbuilders, then it's yourself, then it's Peach Fuzz, then it's Louie. I think I've got that right. I did that, forget some of the other day. <laughs> and I need to get it right because I'm comparing on the nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I introduce the wrong person, they'll be mad. But I mean, it's twenty pounds, which is an absolute bargain. It's worth it for, for Louie on his own. But obviously, you've got six great acts there as well. So do encourage everyone to buy tickets. It's, it's tonight. Talk tonight at the O2 Academy. Tickets available from ctickets.com. Nice one to see as well. Who are donating all of the booking fees back to the charities as well. Uh, just before we go, Louie, um, it's been a while since we've um, since we've been together. So how are you getting on with your own stuff? How's that progressing? Obviously, the Sound City. Yeah, but- very good. Been you know, I've been in the studio a lot, recording new tracks, putting the album together. New festivals are coming in for next year. Obviously, I can't announce them all until I'm allowed to. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's really good, really exciting. No, it's great to see you. And cheers, boys, for coming in. And do support, well. do support the night. But obviously, if you're in other parts of the world and you can't support the night, but it's something you feel feel strongly about, um, we're here for you at the Anfield Rap. But obviously, get in touch with people who can support you in terms of what things you might be going through. And just look out for your mates as well, because you know you never know when they might not be there. Uh, cheers to the boys. And yeah, back to Neil. Welcome back. It is the weekender and Neil Atkinson with Paul Senior and John Milburn to look ahead to Liverpool versus Arsenal. The more accurate, Arsenal versus. Liverpool and that's the first reason why this is a game 
they're going to be slightly depleted at the back it's fair to say uh, the likelihood is though it's not guaranteed that Granit Xhaka might have to do left back that Licksteiner will do right back uh, and that there'll be two central uh, defenders in neither of whom may be first choice if everyone was fit and that'll be Mustafi and Holding uh, it's three of the back four are makeshift if they have to move Xhaka they have to move Xhaka have to send out to central midfield and I think he is whether rightly or wrongly in Emery's first choice midfield too uh, at the base of that midfield and that might make him be a bit more conservative up front Paul though I think he may not be for this one all of that said and maybe even partially because of all of that I can't think of a time Liverpool have gone into Arsenal away and been under more pressure to win the game and that's what worries me about this is that Mm -hmm. this is a game where Liverpool will go into it knowing on some level or another that a point may not do the job and I think that that is a concern because that is a massive amount of pressure on a Saturday night game against a good side yeah absolutely Um, Arsenal Arsenal situations Madge we're talking about Arsenal having a fantastic start Tottenham having the best start in the Premier League history Liverpool I think we're having the best start in our Premier League history as well still neither of them clubs are outright top and Liverpool are looking over their shoulder now at Arsenal. I mean, if Arsenal would have would have won it last weekend, these have overtaken us this weekend. I'm right, I'm right if to say. Won again, yeah. yeah, if these have won again, so yeah, the pressure, the pressure's a bit, it's tough at the top, and you know, um, I don't know whether it's just the fact that we haven't really truly spent much time here, but it's it's an, it's really intense, and the fact that you're saying there, you don't just go to Arsenal and go, oh, that's a good point, isn't it? Because what are, what are Manchester Manchester City going to do with Arsenal? Well, they've already won there. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. So this is the, so you've got to match or better what they do. You know, so if we go even Wolves, you're looking at Wolves, and you go, well, there's one where uh, where where City drop points, so we've got to win this game. You've you've almost got to go. They, they, any mistake they take, we can't afford to do it in exactly the same fixture. It sort of reminds me. I was, it was, I was thinking the other day, John. It almost reminds me of match play golf. This and it's it's mad that it's this early in the season, but it does sort of make you think. You know, you you. Yeah, you, you know the metaphor is you're playing a really difficult golf course, but the fellow you keep up, you're up against playing match play, play golf keeps keeps birdieing, and so you've got to keep birdieing. And at some sort of point, one of you isn't going to birdie, and it's going to feel like a little bit of a blow. And you know Chelsea are only two points behind, but that two points at the minute feels like it's sort of significant, and that it shows that there's a bit of a. It it sort of it, I think it is going to start doing our heads in. I think the most important what I'm actually looking for from Saturday's game is that Liverpool put a performance in. If you know, if it's like last season where we go there, we outplay them, but three things going off people's arses or one from twenty-five yards, and it finishes three-three, then I'll go. All right, we put the performance, and I think we've got to try to just get stuck into enjoying watching this fantastic team. Yeah, I, I think I try and um, because I'm, I'm biased, inherently biased. Uh, I try and watch Man City for, and they, they put together already put together some stunning performances this season but I've also you can also make the argument they've not really played that many people although they're slowly starting to play some people now they played Tottenham the other night and I didn't watch the whole game but I, I wasn't blown away I thought the goal was a beautiful goal but bad conditions but they, they seem to concede quite a few chances I thought they looked vulnerable at the back they seem to be a team that can be got at um, and so I completely get them the, the magnitude and it, the, the pace that all the top four have gone at this season is really, really, really in- incredible. But I, I keep making, I can see flaws in this in this almost perfect Man City team. I think, but you're absolutely right. The match play goals analogy is a good one because we, we can't afford to, we cannot afford to, to slip at this stage. And it's almost who blinks who blinks first. And you could. Um, 
yeah, you, 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 you're really struggling to see where where City's next mistake is going to come from. Um, I feel argumentative here, John. <laughs> City's a City for me. I think Laporta getting the preseason, and they just look a different a different proposition to me. And this is a side that got 100 points last year. I think they're phenomenal. Um, again, I think I think actually they were built on a little bit of sand last year, but they could blow many sides away and they wrapped up the title by pretty much this time. But by December, I mean, they, beat Spurs, they beat Spurs on December the 16th. And, and it's done, isn't it? Yeah, no, one, no one's looking at them at all. And everyone just goes, that's finished. And we were, talk- I mean, we were talking about it even earlier than that, but truly it was done then. But... Um, this year, but you were impressed with them on Monday night. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I, I, honestly, because they go to Tottenham Monday night. Conditions are against them. There's 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 excuses there for them. I felt, and and they just grind a one nil out at Tottenham. And you know, I didn't think Liverpool was was you know the result against Tottenham didn't flatter Tottenham. Don't get me wrong, but um, I, I think I think they were they're excellent. They're good at the back. They're not conceding goal. You know, there's that little. There's that. Have you seen the Van Dyke graphic going round in the week where Liverpool have conceded 14 goals in, in league competition since he's come in? Level with Atletico Madrid, and I go, you see Real Madrid 44, but Manchester City is 17. You know, 17, and we've we've got to we've got to consider that as well as the fact that look at Bernardo Silva now, look at David Silva now in that in that midfield with Fernandinho back in form after after a difficult summer. That. They're outstanding. Sane isn't really getting a sniff, but Mares has come in. Looks like a lad who's won a title. Looks like he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. It's driving me insane because we are so so ready to win a title, and we just might not get there. And we could throw ninety five points in and still not be enough. I, I want to say to you and to anyone who's listening about that sort of talk. One of my things on this is: if Liverpool get ninety five points, you'll have gone out and you'll have watched them win thirty one games out of thirty eight, and isn't that boss? Mm. And that's what we've got to take. And that's what I'm about by like Saturday. For the, I really want to see Liverpool play really well on Saturday, and I think they've got an opportunity to do so in a big game because. Because they can't take that off us at the end of the season. Do you know what I mean? We get a Friday, we get a Saturday night, half five kickoff. Yeah, I want we, a Saturday night in London. You yeah, know, that's you what I want. I want to. I, I, if if we don't win this league, I want to have ran Manchester, this, the great Manchester City side that this is, and and it is, and I want to run them all the way, and I want to enjoy wins and being in a title race and loving it all the way until the back, the bit where I go, I can't believe we didn't win that league. That's what I want, and I want a big Saturday night. I'm not going. You're going on Saturday. I'm not going. And my attitude is. I want to. I want that final whistle to go, and I want to go right. Let's absolutely let's get on it here. I want sure that to know I'm there. Yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> let's do a bit of damage here. Is my yeah. that's my plan. Uh, well, I think I agree with that, and, and there's no there's no doubt. Thirteen fourteen in the eyes of other people was spectacular failure. We had some of the best days and nights out mm. in living memory. It was absolutely fantastic. But I'd like to have crowned that with going for a pint, having won the having won the, won the league. Well, so John, you're not alone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was 16 last time we won the league. Look at me. I'm uh, really, well. I'd give a left a left leg for to be 16. Honestly, and I know Neil's in a in a similar boat. It's it's tough for us at the moment because. We're doing all this, and I'm sure Chelsea Chelsea feel the same, and Tottenham and Arsenal have good starts, and you're going, why aren't we top? Why aren't we top? We should be top, and this is what Manchester City do. And people are talking about goal difference, and people are talking I about this. I can't be bothered about goal difference no, right now. Just go and win their own points. It doesn't, it, by, by, by a point, whatever. If Manchester City win the title on goal difference, so what? Just just do the very best we can, and I think we're going to. It looks like we're geared up to do that. But Liverpool have got the opportunity now to go to Arsenal, put a show on, and it's like that Rafa thing, and I'm just going to take it one game at a time, 
I know we win all of them. Um, when you talk about putting a show on, this because the club has been really quiet this week, Paul, on the team news. We've, we're not clear on who's whether or not, for instance, Henderson's going to make it. And I think I don't want to know until the team's announced because I don't want to. You know, well, I mean, you know, diddle, diddle fifteen minutes before you mean. Yeah, well, <laughs> shut up, John. Uh, there is um, there is a there is a thing, isn't there? Where you, I can't quite work out what's in Liverpool's interest here, and in that I don't know whether or not they should go to go to Arsenal and treat it like the European the European side from last season, the European approach, go with the 4-3-3 and absolutely look to outmuscle them, win it back, be right in the faces, counter on them so quickly, exploit those spaces because I don't think Emery changes it. I think people will say maybe he should and I think there's every chance this becomes one of those post-matches if you know if it goes the way we hope where afterwards everyone says, well, he should have changed, he should have done this, he should have done that whereas he himself's thinking, hang on, I'm 10 games into my tenure at this club, I'm setting out the way we play and I'm sticking to it, I'm not compromising mm. on that. I want it to be one of them, I want Carragher and Neville arguing on Monday night about how he did the wrong thing and all of that sort of all stuff. All the right. All the, but yeah. What I would say and you may well say is the right thing. Yeah. I think that's what we want here but we want, what I'm saying is that if he does do that and I expect him to, which Liverpool side set up shape is the one to best take advantage of the way that you've seen them play this season. He's he's a bit of a timid manager. He's not a big, a big, a visibly big personality in Emery, but he's a good manager. He's a very, very good manager. And it's not, it's no, 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 um, no joke that he got that PSG job when he did. He got the PSG job because everyone thinks he's brilliant, and I think you can see the difference in Arsenal this year, replacing a brilliant manager that he is brilliant and. I think I think you might be right that he might he, he might feel that he can't change because of Liverpool and want, wants to put that message out to his players. But I would I would absolutely attack them on Saturday night. I would go four two three one and I would absolutely go for them. Uh, if you're going to get Granite Jacker at left back and you're going to be getting Rob Holden and Stefan Lichtstein, who was too old for Juventus in the Italian league last season, next to the other centre half that they'll play, Mustafi, Mustafi who. I got bombed in the middle of last season. Liverpool have got to go for them. Play Shakiri. Go play play the three up front. Go for the throat and and put and blow them away because I think if Liverpool go there and get the first goal, Arsenal heads could fall off. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. I think you. Um, I think I think again they're a, they're a team that I think look great going forward, Arsenal, and and that they've they've really put together. I think the forward line is is really really impressive and. Uh, Aubameyang's got into his stride as he now this season, and I think he'll be he'll fancy himself. But our lads at the back don't give much away in this league. We don't give much away, and I think the best from our perspective, I'd be really really comfortable that we be will be sound at the back, and we've got to really really put the, put them under. And that Mustafi will not like Mo Salah and inform Mo Salah running at him. But that's, that's why I'm asking about the shape and stuff like that because it's easy to say, for instance, Granit Xhaka doesn't want to. You know, Sammy works for us before said, yeah, Granit Xhaka at left back with with Salah. Going at him, what's might not be Salah, but that's what I mean. So yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like I wonder if you, that's why I'm asking about the four three three because it's not as though I think I would actually go with the four three three if we can, if he feels as though we can. But I wouldn't be going with the four three three and saying we're going with the four three three because we're cagey. I'd be going with the four three three and going we rip their heads off, yeah, here, lads. Yeah, yeah. Um, and attacking four three three. Yeah, the fourth, well, the one what, that was three. If, well, if they're all fit, I want I want to go Henderson, Ronaldo, Milner because they yes. know it. You yeah. know what I mean? They know it inside and out. If Oxley Chamberlain was fit, I'd be lashing him in. I'd want to go the lads who know it. If they're not, if, if Henderson not fit I'd just go Fabinho Wijnaldum Milner and have the idea that you've got Shaqiri from the bench there if you I think you might go it. Fabinho I, 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 I've just got this this feeling that he's he's slowly introduced him he's given him a couple of
couple of games now. He's not disgraced himself in either game yet. Well, he played brilliantly in the uh, in the Champions League. I've got this feeling that he that he's going to be. And I'd just be going. And I'd just be going. Lads, just know this. Oh. Do the thing you know, Salah. You're going to absolutely murder him from that flank, and you're going to have a ball. You're playing in the gap between Holding and and Granite Jacker. That's your side. I'll fill your boots. I'd be saying to to Firmino, you get all over that little Torreira lad. He doesn't know what he's about, and whoever else they put in midfield. Uh, well, Gondosi's suspended now because he oh, got so a red yeah. card last night. So, for instance, they haven't even got him to select in there. With no, with no Xhaka? With, no, with the idea that Xhaka might have to do left-back because Lichstein has got to do right-back, and on we go. Kolasinic is back in training, isn't he? I wonder whether they rush, they rush him back. I think what they'll try and do is they'll try and get Bellerin fit. I think Bellerin might play with an injection or something, to be honest with you, because the, cause then they put Lichstein a left. But then how long that sustains falls up in the air. The point is more, I'd go with the, I would go with the last season, lads. And say you but with Fabinho in for Henderson if Henderson can't make it yeah. and go but you're a you're a, a scoring four away goals here boys that that's the strategy they might have to they might have to score four goals um, because they've you, got a great attack yeah they've got a, yeah Obama Young's flying Lacazette's flying Ozil's playing well they might they might they might have to to score at least three to get three points um, so that's something to consider and do you know what Neil Liverpool I know I, I might I might be counted, um Contradicting myself, there. Liverpool have scored, scored big amounts of goals with a three-man midfield. So not putting my my shelf for putting Shakiri in doesn't necessarily mean we're going to score any more goals. If you know what I mean. So we could be. Uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. I'd, I want Unai Emery to have the same headache because I watch Liverpool every week and I've got no clue what that team's going to be at the weekend. And I hope he doesn't until they get off the bus. And and, and to be in a situation where I think we last season. The team picked itself, didn't it? There was there was very little opportunity. And to, the style, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it was almost we were a one trick pony, but you, but we we had a very very firm 11, 12, 13 players, and we played we played one way. There's now so many variations he can put in in mid game as well if he needs to. So I think um, yeah, I think it, it's it's nice that we're on a situation where we're that predictable. Um. Why are you wearing a shirt with Paul Senior's initials on? Because uh, <laughs> I'm in the Paul Senior fan club. This is merch, and he's available in all. I can sort you out with one of these guys. Get, get, get yourself a PS shirt. Uh, what's your prediction? <laughs> um, I, 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 there's part of me that keeps saying three three because that's what it was last season, and I could see they've got a good attack, we've got a good attack. But there's a big part of me that I just see Liverpool putting putting together the statement win. And I'm, I could see us winning by a margin, you know, two or three margin, and really, really putting a marker down. And then the f- next week, Man United, Man United, have got to play Man City. And the one thing that Mourinho appears to be able to do is to get his team up to play against doors and to get them to play up against Man, Man United. And you never know where you go from there, do you? I don't know what to expect. It's 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 such a. I'd rather be in neutral, looking forward to this game than than someone emotionally invested in it, but. I don't see any reason we can't go there and win. I think I still think no matter what Arsenal have done so far this season, we are much better than Arsenal. Um, and I'd be disappointed with anything less than a win. Um, OK, excellent stuff. Thank you very much to John and to Paul and everyone else who's contributed to the show this week. Liverpool go to what becomes the next big game of the season, the biggest game of the season so far, because that's how this works. That's how they roll. That's how it goes. And I think we're going to be through. I think it's going to be Liverpool, Arsenal, no Liverpool three at half time. Podcast Network.